Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're really good at sensing tension, a gap between what is, our current surroundings, our current circumstances, and what could be, right? That's right. That's why we have waffle irons, and the animals don't. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hey, everybody. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how and why we let our worries about the future hijack the present. But before we go there, can we be in the present together and check in? I feel quite present. So let's do it. We will begin with a check-in round as we always do. And just as a reminder, if you are a recent joiner, we do this to get ourselves present and in all meetings to create a space with equality of voice right from the drop. So our question for today is, what is something you are currently worried about? And I will go first. This is sort of a minor worry, but I haven't taken a proper vacation in a long time, and Mm. I'm really in the throes of very exciting and interesting work at our current client. And it's not so much that uh, they're holding me back as I am holding myself back, and I'm like worrying about when will be a time for me to fully unplug for a bit because I know I need it and I also don't really want to go because I kind of <laughs> want to like keep doing all the things. So yeah, yeah. I'm I'm worried. I'm worried about it. Well you're preaching to the choir here because I'm the worst <laughs> about that. So <laughs> no I can't help. help you. Yeah I can't I can't wriggle out of that one. Um for me it's probably related to a new project. So I'm considering doing something you know, inside the ready that we haven't done before, that I haven't done before, that would be a big soak up of my time. And I'm worried about the trade-offs. So like Mm -hmm. if it's, if it doesn't pan out, is that, have I wasted an opportunity to be doing something else, to be focusing on something else? So I'm really in my head about that right now, but it's starting to become clear, uh, you know, and I think in the next couple of weeks, it'll, you know, I'll, I'll let it go. Nice. So, Today's topic related to our check-in is the idea of strategic anxiety. (laughs) Let's just start with getting some grounding in this. So Aaron, maybe describe what you're talking about when you use those in related terms. Yeah. So I think when I first started to move into the new ways of working space and started to think about making decisions differently and sharing authority differently, one of the things that I had gotten really good at was 
figuring out how things were going to go wrong if we did something other than what I thought we should do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it was this idea of like, I can imagine all the ways this won't work. And because I have more experience and because I, you know, am, am the person in charge, I actually let that guide the decision making for the company. So I would say, you know, hey, that's not going to work because X. Later mm-hmm. on, people are going to freak out because Y. Oh, you can't use that word because everyone will react in this way. I was always living in the future, thinking about the way that things might go wrong, but treating it as if they will go wrong. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of my early coaches in the space referred to this as a future tension. And the idea was like, yeah, you're just sitting with a tension that doesn't actually exist in the present right now, that you're imagining might be the case, that you're allowing to kind of hijack the current moment and limit possibilities. And right. so that is, that's what future tension uh, is all about. Yeah. I love that we're talking about this. I love future tension, uh, not as a thing, but as a concept, because <laughs> it is one of the easiest hacks for people to get their mind around. And it has such a significant impact, not just on doing transformation work, not just on changing your organization, but also on your life. Yeah, um, I, absolutely. you know, I refer to future tension as understanding that you are mortgaging your present for the future that is uncertain. And it's just really helpful to understand when we're doing that and knock it off. So um, maybe let's start with like some real tangible examples of what this looks like in real life. And maybe we'll just bounce back and forth with what we both see. Do you have some that come to mind? Yeah. So, I mean, a pretty common one that I see is when we first start working with teams, there's often an idea to try and experiment around distributing more authority. So there's Mm -hmm. an idea of like, hey, let's let product team A just run their stuff for a while and see how it goes. Right. That's Mm -hmm. like a very common proposal is kind of let's leave the people alone. (laughs) And then what immediately (laughs) comes up, what immediately comes up from some other leader around the table is, But what about the fact that they're, you know, what if they don't hit the objectives or what if they don't, um, what if they don't know what to do with that authority or what if they come to us looking for direction or what if, what if, what if, what if, and they sort of talk themselves out of it by imagining these, these worst case scenarios um, and putting a lot of their own baggage on the shoulders of the people they're considering empowering. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. What about you? What's, what's like a, another riff that you've seen? Well, what's funny about what you said is what I listen for early on and, you know, frankly, always in teams is the what if language. Like, yeah, because what if is so boring? Like, how might we <laughs> is really interesting. Like, what if is just a, a an anxiety game that we play? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, so for anyone who is going to really tune into this, when a leader or anyone in the team starts with something like what if or let's just be careful or Mm -hmm. have we really thought about, I'm just like, guess what's coming next? Spoiler alert. It's a future tension because like all of those things, the reason that you're couching them and the reason that the exposition sounds that way is because you don't know, you don't actually know what's going to happen. So you're just sort of like bandying about the idea of a catastrophe occurring. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so be listening for that. 
One of the examples that is most present for me is a personal example, actually. My husband, who uh, deals with anxiety in a very like woke and holistic way, um, which I adore him for, really grasped onto this future tension idea. <laughs> and one of the places that it shows up for him is uh, when he's preparing to travel. So mm. we both travel all the time, independently and together. And what Ed does when he has a trip coming up is he starts obsessing about packing. Right, right, right. And then he'll be like, we'll be sitting, you know, we'll be sitting at dinner and there will be a trip next week. And he's like, do you think I need hiking shoes? <laughs> and the reason that it's a good future tension and that he catches himself and the reason I like it as an example is because he's anticipating something going wrong. He's anticipating not having something that he needs, which is causing right. anxiety for him. But he cannot possibly have the information in that moment to make a good decision. So right, it's just right. rumination because he doesn't yet know what the weather is going to be like there. He doesn't know what the itinerary is going to be. He doesn't actually know what he's going to need. And he needs more information to make a good decision about that. But in right. the moment, he's like, let's talk about packing. And I'm like, dude, we can't talk about packing right now because we don't know the things that we need to know to make a good decision. That's why That's it's a right. future tension. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think we can we can pick apart the difference between scenario planning and preparation and yeah, future tension in right. a second. But first, I just want to say that usually what's going on is people are trying to anticipate the future and then do one of two things. And I think there's sort of like two different degrees of evil here. The, the, <laughs> the base level is they're trying to anticipate and make sure that everything is baked in. So a lot of yeah. times when we're creating a new working agreement at the ready and someone's trying to anticipate like, what should our you know maternity policy be? They'll, yep. they'll bake something rough that we're going to try. And then everyone will be like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And try to make it 15 pages long. Right. Yep. To try to anticipate everything that could happen. And a lot of it is like, why don't we just try it? And then if it turns out that it was like too much or not enough or whatever, we can just steer like we can just do it differently. There's a big feeling in in corporate cultures of like if we make a decision or we make a proposal and to go do something or we make an agreement, then whatever we write down has to be perfect forever and has mm -hmm. to anticipate every scenario instead of this idea of like, we could just write down the simplest version, go live it, and then literally in the moment as it's failing us, just change it. Yeah, that's right. And make it better. So that's like the base level. The The second degree of, of evil that is more, more varsity is using future tension to say no. For sure. So then it's like, like, let's not even try to anticipate all the ways this can go wrong. Let's just say it will go wrong and let's not do it at all. And so that like those are both things that I think are pretty pernicious which is different from this idea of preparation, right? So like one of the things I do when I travel, sort of riffing off of Ed, is I have a couple RX bars in the backpack. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I've been on enough tarmac ground delays to know like have an extra RX bar, not a bad idea. Right. And even though it's a future tension that I might be hungry, it's such a low cost for me to throw a couple bars in the bag that it feels like a, a worthwhile trade. I think if I got to the point where it was like an entire go bag with needle and thread and it, then it starts to become right. that anticipatory, you know, toxicity that just like slows everything down and makes you a ball of worry. So I find like there, there's some kind of a line in my head or a threshold when I know I'm crossing it to be like, am I just being like a good, pre you know, prepared professional in a space that I understand 
Or am I being like this overly anxious anticipator, you know, prep freak about something that I don't understand and that I'm just I'm just telling myself a, a story? Yeah. And I think the check on that for most of us is, am I doing this preparation because I'm nervous or am I doing it because it's helpful? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's an and emotional it's like, yeah, state. Putting some granola bars in your bag. Also, I don't know how you eat that shit because RX bar is just like, you just sit in my stomach. Like, I always regret them when I've eaten That's that. why it's great because I feel like it's a whole oh, meal so like, in filling. one little bag. I yeah, don't know about that. My, it's filling. <laughs> it sure is. But in the moment when you're throwing those in your bag, Every single time you go on a trip, you're not thinking like, oh, my God, what if the plane goes down? You're just like, it would be nice if I was really hungry to have something. And understanding the difference between that and being like, I'm worried because I get worried when I travel or because I don't like travel or because I don't like flying or sleeping in a bed that's not my own or whatever. And then understanding that the work you're doing around hiking shoes is in response to worry or uncertainty or lack of control not actually preparation. That's right. And I the dividing line for me, I think that I'm finding at, through this conversation literally is, are we dealing with the unknown or are we dealing with the known? Are we yes. dealing with complexity or are we right. dealing with complication? And like the likelihood that I'm going to get a ground delay is really high. And I've flown enough to know that like, that's just a known variable and I'm just prepping around it. Yeah. The like, am I going to need, a, you know, a tuxedo on this trip? I have no idea. Let me worry about it. Let me overpack. That's anxiety riddled, right? Like that's me like living in the unknown. And I think a lot of our work, because it is asking people to work in a new way, to think in a new way, to sort of be different is in that unknown space. And so a lot of the a lot of the future tension reactions are are not helpful. Like they're just like, who knows, you know, how this is going to go. That's right. And the way I look at this and what I listen for in groups is it it really is an avoidance behavior. It's disguised right, right. as something that looks like strategic or yeah, like predictive thoughtful. or like thoughtful or like devil's advocate nonsense. But really it is avoidance. It is the avoidance of making a wrong move by making no move at all and calling the idea of moving into question based on a story that may or may not ever come to fruition. And I think traditional leadership, you know, if we look at like sort of rock star CEO, idolized individual leadership that sort of started in the 80s, a lot of the narrative around that is around strategy. And it's like being the chess player and seeing the whole board and seeing around seven quarters. And we have a lot of this mythology around prediction and risk management and, you know, having a long-term future vision that is just not, it's not true anymore. It's not possible anymore the way that it was possible 40 years ago. And so those same skills are now being misapplied to stop progress. Right. Well, and not only that, but that always, that angle always bothered me and bothers me in the present Mm. because we look at risk in this extremely one-dimensional way where it's like, oh yeah, our job as leaders is basically to say no to everything and to protect and maintain the status quo because that feels like the safe bet. But the reality is like, the risk of not acting can often be much greater than the risk of acting, right? There's right. so many stories of disruption and category explosion where like they just didn't see around the corner. And the only way to see around the corner was to actually do something. Yeah. And so often I just tend to try to push teams to be like, 
I would almost rather that we try things indiscriminately than that we don't try anything and stay in the current space. Because what I can be sure of is staying exactly where we are for too long will definitely bite us in the ass. Yeah. Going and trying things will maybe bite us in the ass, but we'll probably learn something and we might even be wildly successful. And so, you know, barring and, and sort of using the safe to try, uh, you know, waterline type uh, language and analysis that we often talk about, figuring out where that risk tolerance really is, I just feel like you have to kind of put down the muscle that's like, let me imagine all the ways this could go wrong and open up to the idea of like, I just am really curious to see what happens. You know, yeah, like that's if, right. uh, if we let the team run the product for a whole quarter and they royally screw up, imagine all the things that we and they will learn and know. And isn't that worth it? Like, is is it really that dangerous? Do you really not trust them that much that like in 90 days they're going to destroy the business? That's right. Or actually, is it like, no, what you're really afraid of is your own irrelevance you know, the fact like the, your identity and how it might have to shift if you're not running that, like all that stuff that is more boogeyman stuff. Totally. And we've talked on other episodes about over preparation. And I, I've struggled a lot with this in my own life, um, you know, partially because of how I was raised and because of my uh, seriousness about music for a long period of time. <laughs> right, I was just right. like, uh, if you don't have it all, if you don't have the concerto memorized, like just, you know, go home after we throw a music. Yeah. Why game. are you even alive? Yeah, right? like, <laughs> like, literally. Like, what is the point of your existence if you fuck up that sonata? But um, what I've realized in doing like my own work around future tension is there's a shift that happens that is very egoic in nature when you understand that you're over prepping because of uncertainty. And what you do instead is you harness your internal strength and your internal confidence that in the moment and in a group, you will find your way. And I have a lot of moments like this still when a client will say, well, let's spend a half day together working on this. And there's a significant part of me that wants to make a very detailed plan and hold us to that plan. Right, and right. I know better now. And like, I believe in the people that I work with at clients and in my partners at the ready and in my own intuition and intelligence. And what I know now is that rather than being in sort of a, a competition around speculating what might go wrong with the plan, we get a lot more from just getting into something imperfect and figuring it out as we go. And that also, you know, it it has a lot of knock-on effect in terms of other principles we talk about, which is we all feel accountable for the experience. We all feel accountable, you know, in the example you use, we all feel accountable for if the product completely derails in the quarter that we own it. Like the idea of shifting from future tension to acting based on present tension hits a lot of the different aspects of the work that we do. And I'm glad that you mentioned your own struggle with this because I have it too. And I think it's really important for everyone listening to recognize like years into understanding this concept, you're still living with it, you know? And I think it comes from this desire, honestly, at least for me, to optimize. Right. So like my classic example right now, I am in the midst of remodeling a kitchen, which is, you know, a great and terrible idea. 
And um, and one <laughs> of the things I noticed so that I'm, <laughs> it is someday. <laughs> and one of the things I'm noticing I'm doing is I'm already like anticipating. Well, what if you know they're painting the doors, and I'm like, what if in two years I want to change the security system, and right. I'm gonna have to pull that little thing off, and the door underneath that won't be painted the right color? And my wife Britt is like, uh, future tension, dude. Like yeah, seriously. Right dial it back. Calm but yourself. I can't help it because I'm trying to anticipate and I'm trying to optimize so that like, well, while we have them here, we may as well do this and we may as well do that so that two years, three years, five years down the road, we're ready for all the things that are going to happen next. And, and you get so caught up in that, that it is really nice to just have the anchor point of this term and this idea for to yeah. just be like, oh yeah, I'm doing that. I'm doing that thing. And yeah. like, what, what's the worst that could happen? And honestly, and and that's, I think that's really what we have to get good at is not, you'll never get rid of it, but if you get good at catching it, you can have a much better time at work. Right. And noticing that in that example, and then I want to talk about transformation, but in that example, you just don't have the data to know if you're going to want to change your security system in three years. So let's not worry about the paint on the doors today. Exactly. I might not even live in the house in three years. Do right. you know what like, I mean? Who knows like, where you'll th- be in three years? Who knows, right? But instead, I'm like trying to optimize years down the road. Right. For something and that may or may not ever so come to frustrating. be. It's frustrating. It's exhausting oh also it because is. those things, it's like, you know, you cut off one of those heads and eight more grow back right there. I know. Yeah. So I'm just like doing my breath work and it's just. Oh, <laughs> let, let it, it go. go. Listen to Brit. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Good, good mottos for life. Let it go. Yeah. Listen to Brit. Uh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> been my marriage strategy She's for very ten smart. years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, in um, transformation, this is a thing that comes up a lot because mm-hmm. the way that we approach transformation is emergent in nature, which means we are doing stuff based on what is actually happening rather than on future tension, and it feels so scary for people who are in the mm-hmm. moment and are learning to work this way. So let's talk a little bit about how that comes up and also what to do about it. So when it comes to transformation, the patterns that I often see that are are positive are about kind of waiting and, and uh, holding judgment until we see what happens yep. and also um, trying things. And so th- there's mm-hmm. a weird there's a weird dynamic here where like on the one hand, what we know from from our work and from you know the agile movement and from complexity theory is that essentially like decisions are debt. Like if we if we lock down a policy or a way of doing something or a process or or an agreement, that becomes debt over time because the world changes. It turns, things happen and suddenly it's not perfect anymore. And so one part of our of our thinking is like, all right, well, let's not let's not lock things down until we know more. And and if mm-hmm. we if there's any way that we can punt something becoming a constraint to go to go get more data, we would want to do that. So that's on the side of like of of don't don't rush to judgment or don't rush to policy. On the other hand, sometimes I think that's misinterpreted and transformation is like, well, let's just leave everything the way it is then. <laughs> but that's a decision too, right? Like that's yeah. living in the present. And so it's it's paired with this idea of emergence and trying things and just like seeing what comes. And what is weird to me about transformation is, and, and future tension in specific, is people already have tension. That's why they want to transform. They already mm-hmm. have a problem with the way they're working, with the strategy, with the culture. And they're saying like, all right, I'm in pain I or, or I see an opportunity and I want to change something. 
And so rather than tune into that and just try things and learn, there's a little bit of like, I'm going to tune into that. And then I'm also going to tune into the future tension that's going to be caused by the solution or by the approach or by the practice. And so they're just caught in this loop of like, I'm in tension now, I'll be in tension later. And so I can't like everything sucks and I can't do anything and hands are thrown up. And instead it's like, no, don't, don't over constrain the system when you don't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, try things and learn and get that feedback loop going so that you're always living with present tension caused by the things that you're actually doing. And that's the thing you're reacting to. And so it's almost like, wait until it's a problem before you address it. Right. This is what so many people that first get into documenting their OS make the mistake of like, let's write down everything and answer right. for everything and let's let's right. over constrain the firm and I'm like no 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 don't literally don't write down and we're we're living this right now we have not had a maternity paternity policy at the ready because we haven't had any babies right and now we have a now baby coming and we're baby. like great let's write one right <laughs> yeah, because right. now we're in that present moment and the tension is real and it is alive and so we're going to take a stab at it. We'll try something. And by the way, if it doesn't serve us perfectly, that new present tension will direct the edit of it. So I think yeah. that's the like that's the healthy kind of loop that we want to be in. Yeah, that's right. And something I learned from you really early on, like probably month one of working with you, I was asking you, I I wish I could remember now what it was about, but I was basically seeking permission for something uh, because it just wasn't clear whether I could do it or not or who held the decision. And your advice to me was like, if I were you, I'd just go out and make the tension and see what happens. Right, right. And I find myself giving similar advice to people at clients a lot. So I uh, I had an interesting example a couple of months ago where there were a new kind of role that was going to be available inside of a client as a result of them moving to more self-managing teams. And I was having conversations with people that were like, well, I'm like, I'm working on my resume and what if I don't have this skill set and how am I going to apply and what's going to happen to my old role and et cetera, et cetera. And the truth of the situation was the role description wasn't even written yet. And it was going to be one of many, many, many future roles that were coming as part of this work. And all of the sort of agita around that is like, I'm worried about it and I can't control it and I don't have enough information. So to your point, just sitting back and being like, I got to wait, like I got to wait for signal because I actually can't do anything about this right now. Or being like, I feel really strongly about this. So I'm going to write the fucking job description and I'm going to go out and make that tension myself and see what people do about it. It's so funny that you say that because it, it, brings to to the forefront for me this stigma that people get backwards about the term. So mm. usually people stigmatize the tension part of future tension. Oh, but actually yeah. we stigmatize no. the, the future, future part. part. Yeah. Tension is great. Tension great. tells us something. And so I think it. we have to fall back in love with this idea of like in a system that is trying to be autonomous and trying to be self-organizing and trying to be adaptive when you go make tension, when you reveal that something is not aligned or understood or clarified, that's a gift. That is a yeah. learning gift to the organization. You're like, I'm going to go buy a $10,000 workstation. And then I'm like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. <laughs> right. We've just realized that like, there's something about our business that one of us doesn't understand. 
Yeah. And I don't even know which one. And we'll find that's out. Right. And that's the gift. Like there's a learning opportunity in the tension. So when people go create tension, they are they are doing the organization a service. When they obsess over future tension and it prevents action, they are doing it a disservice. That's exactly right. So look, as far as guests go, I think I have to just go back to the person that taught me about future tension, which means uh, Tom Thomason from encode.org. Uh, who was previously um, a, a co-founder at Holacracy. You know, he's the guy that was in the room with me when I was first recognizing this idea and just pushing my thinking. And so I think it'd be fun to check back in with Tom and see what he's learned and what he's seen around uh, the concept of future tension since then. So when we get back after the break, we will be joined by Tom. Ready, set, go. Hey, everybody. We're back with Thomas Thomason, partner at Encode.org. Thomas, welcome to the show. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So you were actually part of kind of the early or founding team at Holacracy and then made your way from there to Encode. So for folks don't, that don't know that whole story, can you just kind of walk us through what your what your life journey to this Holy work has been? Holy cow, yeah. yeah. In, you know, five minutes or less. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm an entrepreneur by background, and it's not the serial entrepreneur kind of thing that sounds all sexy, but the reluctant <laughs> entrepreneur that kind of one goddamn thing led to another. <laughs> it was like, ah, I didn't really plan it this way. But my self-organization journey started probably in 2006 when I okay. kind of reached the pinnacle <clears throat> of all the clever techniques we try to do to improve organization life. Mm. So I'd started several businesses and <clears throat> um, <laughs> worked with all the major consultancies, the management consultancies, tried all the clever techniques in the world and would continuously fail. I was like, huh, what's up with this? I mean, I'm working with Accenture and McKinsey and Price and Deloitte and all of them and launching really cool companies with really smart people, and we're failing over and over again. Right. So I kind of got a little cynical, a little burned out, and a little bit opened up to rethink what it is to do work. And that's what led me to <clears throat> cross paths with another person that was kind of in the same experiment. And we launched uh, Holacracy One in 2007. So it's been 13 years. Yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, so I'm kind of, I kind of consider myself like the first surrenderer <laughs> uh, that surrendered to a self-organizing system that decided to try to get work done differently. And so we launched Holacracy One in 2007. And I kind of had a front row seat to this space, which was really kind of cool, working with household name entrepreneurs business leaders, executives, teams that were trying to do work differently, which was awesome. And now in code. So how, what's the jump there? Yeah. So <clears throat> about eight years or so into the Holacracy journey, um, I realized that, you know, what we were really doing, Holacracy can be described in a lot of ways, of course, but fundamentally it's a shift in the power structure. It's, it's really just an alternate way of getting work done, which is really cool. So we've changed the authority structures at play to coordinate effort to get work done in pursuit of purpose. Awesome. But what about where power is also stored or resides? Mm. So that led me to think about uh, things like legal structures, capital structures, mm. officers, boards, directors, voting rights, all this craziness that still exists in our fundamental organizational structures. 
Right, right. And then, like the real aha <laughs> was, holy shit, you know, we've gotten rid of central authority, command and control, bosses and supervisors and managers. Awesome. We've replaced it with something else. But what's this construct called employee? What are we still doing with that? Mm. <laughs> so we have an individual who is still beholding to a power system outside of their control. Labor laws, compliance, HR policies, some crazy nonsense, oh, yeah. right? And I've heard you guys talk a lot about this. <laughs> so <laughs> being the entrepreneur that I am, it was like, okay, this is a tension, right? This is like, ah, what are we going to do about this gap between upgrading the organizational operating system and these other systems that have outdated antique power structures that no longer serve? And right, so right. this gave rise, this tension, this evolutionary tension, this gap that wanted to be born into the world led to the starting of ENCODE. And ENCODE's purpose is to upgrade those two systems that holacracy, quite frankly, by design, doesn't touch. Mm -hmm. The legal right. and capital structures and the people structure. It's so needed. And I think what we have bumped up to again and again with the Ready is the limitations of the current legal system and the current ways of architecting and describing this stuff and the regulations around it. I mean, things that are designed for the worst case scenario, for the lowest common denominator, rather than people that are trying to do right by <clears throat> their members. For sure. And so, yeah, so we're we're very grateful that you've started that work. Yeah, yeah it's been it fascinating. Is, it is sorely needed. So we could talk a whole uh, hour or so on that for sure, but working all over the world with attorneys and uh, law firms to change the fundamental business incorporating structures. Well, well, we will have you back on for a yeah. power structure episode. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for doing that. And I mean, yeah. you know, because you're an expert in all of this, like like Aaron said, we bump into this all the time. And in companies that are really trying to change and become more progressive, more distributed in terms of how they think about power and authority, the work that you're doing is so often the limiting factor, right? Where they like you know, with all good intention and good practice, they're just like, right, but like our legal structure <laughs> or like, right, but yeah. our voting structure or right, but the way our board yeah. is constructed. And it's like, it's just this, this like wrapper around a thing that is trying to become like expansive and flexible, but sort of keeps it constrained. I like that, that picture too. It does feel like a bubble. And inside the bubble, we can shift authority all day long and it's great and it's needed. I'm not disparaging that whatsoever. We've sure. got to do that work. But it's still a bubble that resides in a broader context, the yeah. legal yeah. structure, right? It's turtles all the way down. There. <laughs> there's every operating system That is exactly change. right. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. boundaries, there's always a boundary layer, right? So the boundary between organizational and operations is with legal capital structures and with the labor force, the labor pool. Of course. Yeah. And so we're all really smart humans and we know when we're acting as if in service of something greater, but the rug can still be pulled out from under us. <laughs> Absolutely. So we will do all of this turtle exploration another time. <laughs> but right now, we need you to educate us and tell us all of the most varsity things that we don't know yet yes. about it's future tensions. Yeah, let's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Earn your Present. money that we didn't pay you for being here. <laughs> so, yeah, let's dive into the future tension concept, which, uh, you know, you invented maybe and we are obsessed with. Can you tell us, like, where did this concept come from? What was the generation of this whole notion? Tension. Let's just start with tension, right? 
And it's a key component in the self-organizing systems that I play with. It's like sensing into a gap. And I don't know if you remember, uh, Aaron, the, the definition of attention or what your current definition of attention is. Yeah, I mean, that idea of the gap, of the distance between what's now true and what could be true in the future is what always uh, kind of stuck or landed with me, that it's not, it's not to be characterized negatively, but actually to be characterized as a potentiality. Yeah, yeah. I love the potential uh, component. So it is um, neutral. It is designed to be neutral and designed to be something that we as human beings are really, really good at. <laughs> We're <laughs> really good at sensing tension, a gap between what is our current surroundings, our current circumstances, and what could be, right? That's right. That's why we have waffle irons. <laughs> That's why don't. we have everything. Evolution creates that way. It's the, the mother of all entrepreneurial endeavors is that gap. It's the gap that drove me to launch ENCODE after launching right. Holacracy One back in 2007. So it, it's the energy, right? It's the potential. It's the gap between two different things, two poles or polarities. And it's that which we're processing. And here it gets really interesting. This is the core kernel, I think, of self-organizing systems is getting ever better at that game, right. ever better at sensing and processing, doing something with the tension that you sense for some greater purpose. Mm -hmm. So this is key. This brings us right back to what are we sensing around? Why are we sensing and it's a gap between what is and what could be for something, for a purpose greater mm -hmm. than ourselves. And so good self-organizing systems are anchored in purpose. What is it that we're trying to effort together mm -hmm. around? What mm -hmm. is it that we're trying to bring into the world together? And purpose then draws us or inspires us, if you will, or motivates us to sense the gap and then do something with it. So it's all about tension processing and then getting really clear about current tension. What's up now? What am I feeling now? What can I do now that takes me to next? Right, right. And this is the distinguishing piece from, <clears throat> I wouldn't actually call it a future tension per se, but a future fear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the distinction is <laughs> a present tension, and I'll, I'll describe a little bit more the characteristics of that, versus what's really super common, a future fear. And we confuse right. those two things all the time. Right. Yeah. We, we are imagining a tension that might be true in the future. Yeah. We're, we're imagining a uh, eventuality or a circumstance that may never, ever happen in reality. Right. <laughs> so this forces us to get really clear on what's real for us. What patterns yeah. I heard in your, your introductory session, your first part of this talk about looking and sensing for patterns and based right. on repeating patterns that becomes data upon which we can act. So tensions, current tensions are something that we can act upon. And that's a key, key element of discerning the difference between a current tension and a future fear. A future fear is ambiguous. It's the boogeyman. It, okay. Our mind tortures us with future fears <laughs> in our business context, in our um, relational context, in our personal affairs, in our financial affairs. We are plagued with future fear. And so one of the beautiful things I love about these self-organizing practices is it helps us to kind of be more attentive to 
present moment needs. Be present right, in the right. moment. What can I do now to get me to next? And a, another good um, practice that supports this is the work of David, David Allen, who kind of is the grandfather of this on the personal productivity side with getting things done. So there's a whole uh, practice area of paying attention to what's now and what's next for you in your current context, and then deciding based on your horizons of focus or your purposes, what you're going to do next. And so personal productivity also needs to align with this now next sort of notion. Of course, of course. And how early on in the development and the practice of holacracy and of finding some of these new ways of working, did you <clears throat> notice that this habit of future fear or future tension was kicking up and was something you'd have to talk about? Because I remember in our first moments together, it that came up real, real soon when people start to say, well, what about this and but and but and, but? <laughs> and you're like, whoa, whoa, that's a thing you're doing. And let me name the thing you're doing and help you understand it. And once that was shown to us, it was like, oh, we have like a new word, a new tool in the toolbox to identify when we're doing this behavior. So I'm just curious about like, how early on did you realize how important that is? Yeah. And, and what did you start to figure out about how to overcome it or how to kind of catch it in the moment and, and shift it? Sure. So it didn't happen right out of the gate for me. Of course, as I said, I was kind of at the pinnacle, the top of my management consulting game and getting paid or incentivized to be a future thinker <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and outline so all the ways things can go wrong, <laughs> even though they, <laughs> the probability of some of those things going wrong are minuscule to non-existent. And we culturally in our conventional organizations have habituated that kind of thinking so much. So I wasn't even aware of it. I thought it was right, goodness. Right. I thought it was mm -hmm. protecting, right? Looking out for um, making sure that all these kind of um, <laughs> phrases that something bad doesn't happen to us, right? Or projecting out into the future farther than I could possibly see and then trying to steer to that point that I can't possibly see. These are habits that we have in our conventional organizations that are reinforced by all types of systems from climbing the ladder, professional development, career pathing, incentives, compensation, all of it is incenting this kind of behavior. Yeah, paternalism writ large. Oh, my God. And we see this in our meetings. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I listened to a couple of your podcasts where you were uh, keying in on some of the, the meeting dynamics, right? And we hear this all the time. So this was a learning journey for me. That's why I say the first surrenderer, <laughs> the first person to surrender to a new way of thinking about getting shit done, right? And paying attention to this present moment awareness, this current tension kind of thing. And it was about a year or so in when I was helping others kind of ease into this too and seeing all the habits of mind, the inertia we have about this kind of thinking. I said, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what we want to pay attention to is what we can do now to get us to next in pursuit of purpose. So these really simple mantras, now, next, moving to current to next step, current step to next step. Simple, simple, one tension at a time. These mantras, right? It's paying attention to the work, just the work, not the other ancillary things, but just the mm -hmm. work. And this gave rise to a notion that I kind of uh, really habituated my own practice and my own life, actually. How much of my life structure 
my personal structures, personal relationships, and certainly business relationships have future think baked into them. Blow mm. right. So <laughs> this gave rise to one of my other kind of ahas. It's like, oh, wow, when you show up this way in these self-organizing systems and you practice this way, you're wringing the future out of the organization like water from a wet T-shirt. You just wring mm. it out. <laughs> you just pay attention to what's needed. Now, next, repeat. Now, next, repeat. And this puts a feedback loop that I heard you guys talk about. And sure. you want to just continue that process. It's like Collins has pushed the flywheel. Since, mm -hmm. respond, next. Now, next. This is a mantra. And this mm -hmm. is the new cadence, the new rhythm, the new thought processes. And always, always, always for the work. Always for the work in pursuit of purpose. These are really clarifying moments. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you make it sound so easy and intuitive. <laughs> and what I'm wondering is, uh, as a person who went through that transformation mindset-wise yourself, who was a leader in that moment, who upended things that you thought were fundamental, like... What's hard about that? How do you get through that? You know, it's yeah. not it's not natural. And it's like, you know, it's evolutionary that we think about what might happen and catastrophize the future. So um, so help all of your um uninitiated leader buddies yeah. out there in the world mm. and and give us some tips. Sure. It is painful. It's simple. Um, and it takes effort and commitment to learn new things, which means you have to unlearn old things. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a good story. Um, it was probably about midway through uh, the holacracy journey. And we were really getting ahead of steam and starting to work with some uh, no kidding, um, well-structured, uh, larger style businesses who had tried all the clever techniques before and, and failed in the same usual ways. Mm -hmm. And we were working with one, some co uh, one similar company, uh, probably mm, 100, 150 in revenue, uh, maybe 130, 150 employees in that kind of range. So really, really smart, really uh, growing, scaling, going international. Uh, it was one of my favorite organizations to work with. And I remember <clears throat> being brought in to do a strategy meeting differently, <laughs> not the classic strategy meeting. Aaron may right. have some sense of this. <laughs> and they had just hired a brand new CFO. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> the brand comes new, the old OS. The brand new CFO who's super smart, super seasoned, run public company accounting, knows his shit really, really well, mm -hmm. was in near tears. <laughs> Not because he didn't know his stuff, but because reframing it and paying attention to present moment is terrifying when you've spent a lifetime in a career projecting into the future. So the, the key here is getting comfortable in your own skin again, getting comfortable right. how you make meaning of yourself in your work. It becomes an egoic kind of thing. And that's why I say surrender back over and over again. It is a surrender to something greater than yourself, a purpose that you care about, right? Not an enlightened leader or a progressive boss or even a progressive company in the conventional sense but truly a purpose that gets you out of bed in the morning. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And that is what helps you surrender to the new process. So mm -hmm. <laughs> we were going through 
um, the strategy meeting, and he just could not contain himself. So he got up to the board, the whiteboard, white, <laughs> <laughs> uh, marker in hand, and started to Here draw a quadrant. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? And so now we can see our future. Where are we on this quadrant? And where are we going? And all of this stuff comes bubbling to the surface. And the fascinating thing is, after about a year of practice with the other executives who also come from this genre, also come from this way of uh, doing work, kind of just smiled and said, ah, notice the delta, notice the difference, notice the waste, actually. And it, it really is a waste of energy, a waste of time and a waste of effort on something that actually doesn't serve the purpose in the present moment. That story brings up two things for me. That's awesome. One is, um, I think there's a thing that I, I know I've gone through in my own, you know, struggle and learning around this. That is, I think you have to trust, especially in a group setting that noticing what is happening right now is more valuable than astutely predicting what might or might not happen. And like when you're mm -hmm. in the room and you're trying to contribute in a group, there's so much history and patterning around speaking in future tenses that it can be hard to like get up the gumption to go like, here's what's now that I think we should talk about instead. Yeah, for sure. And, and this is where I think um, good rules, good mm. gameplay really help support the process. So for me, that. a good self-organizing system has a written down rule set that we all play by. And mm -hmm. the rules support the practice. So it's why there's a check-in, right? Get present. Mm -hmm. Is there anything on your mind that's preventing you from sensing current needs on behalf of, not you, <laughs> not you the person, not you the <laughs> ego, but on behalf of something greater than you, the, the why that you're here in the first place? Uh-huh. So these practices reinforce one another, right? So good rules that help us to practice better together when we forget and when we kind of collapse back into our own habits and our own meaning making just because we are human. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing I was I was thinking about and and totally goes along with the sort of rules to play. I was facilitating a strategy session similar to your story, they had asked for like a non-traditional strategy session and a really cool group of folks. And, um, we were in the middle of this conversation and we had been doing some future scenario planning, like some vivid narrative kind of work. And this guy had not contributed much and he got up to the whiteboard with a marker. Your story reminded <laughs> me. And I was right. like, Oh, I was like white knuckling. I was like, Oh shit. This is, you know, he's going to want to like do a financial <laughs> model or something. And what go. he said was, what all of this is making me think about is what is happening right now that we're not paying attention to. Mm, and yes. I was like, oh man, could you come work with us at the ready? Because <laughs> even in the midst of doing strategy work, he was just like, all of what we're talking about has root into things that have already happened or are happening right now that we're not talking about. So like, right. I love the idea of like, content, but also rules of the game being about presence and the present and creating that 
because it all it all helps. Like it all helps with the framing and the constraining and how mm-hmm. you talk about strategy and the, or the practice. Future. Because I find that so many of the leaders and teams we work with, and ourselves included, because you live in the future all the time. Just the act of like, are you good at sensing? Right. Are you good at observing? Are you good at noticing? Are you are you are your eyes open to what's actually happening right now in and around you and this moment? And the answer is like usually no. no. Like it's so common to go into a team and it's like, huh, did anybody notice that there are 10 men in this room and no women when we're <laughs> yeah. making the coronavirus plan? Yeah. No, we didn't notice that. OK, cool. We're not good at noticing them. Yeah, right. And so sure. like the, it is this muscle that I think is very um, atrophied. And and so, yeah, the working agreements can sort of force the workout. They do. And it's an interesting paradox. It's, it's um, fascinating for me being in this space is because at the same time, one, it's focused on something very practical, an action, a project, a metric, a thing to do together, right? Mm-hmm. So we're really focused on doing work. <laughs> this isn't about personal transformation in the right. organization space. Yeah. But... By doing the organization's work differently, we now have the opportunity to transform. Yeah. So this is the interesting paradox. It's like now we can notice our fear. Now we can notice our trepidation from using our voice. Now we can notice when we feel shut down or anesthetized, when we're in a system that invites us to participate with a clear set of rules that everybody is bound by. This changes the game. And so as we're advising folks that are going to start going down this path of, you know, really recognizing and, and you know, averting their eyes from future fear, <laughs> from future attention and getting present, um, are, there, are there any like principles or, you know, kind of top three um, tactics that you recommend that they can sort of take back into work tomorrow? What would be the kind of what's the bumper sticker kind of wisdom for this for you um, that we can leave them with? Yeah, so I will kind of lean back into David Allen's work uh, because I think he does such a really good job of languaging this um, in his personal productivity system, which is directly applicable in these self-organizing systems. And that is sense something, but then do something with it. Either Mm -hmm. capture it as an action, a concrete thing that you can do next. You don't have to execute on it right now, but just capture it. Get it out of your head. Process that tension, right? The mind is a terrible place to store tensions. We want to process them. So take that feeling, that sense that something could be different and do an inquiry. What can I do with that? Can I act on it now? Awesome. Do that. Can I capture an action that I can act on later? Awesome. Do that. Is it really not a single action, but a bigger thing that is still achievable an outcome that is still achievable either by Mm -hmm. myself or my partners, my teammates, and then capture that outcome that you're going to pursue together. In other words, get it out of your head. Mm -hmm. And then get really honest with yourself about the things that aren't actionable now and still process that too, which could be, hmm, interesting idea, self, (laughs) interesting idea. (laughs) Let me capture that for some time in the future. So, Acknowledging that we do, as humans, love to future think, right? But let's capture that and placeholder it in a spot. And then we can revisit it when we have more data, when we have more context, when we have more time or energy even, right? So the key is to do something with your tensions. Process them into some such thing, an action, a project, 
or a future thing to pay attention to. That is very, very sound advice. And for those listening who are like, yeah, I'm already doing that. We're already awesome at this. What else? What else you got? What I'm curious about (laughs) is to hear a little bit about your work in thinking about the underlying principles, the underlying power structures that either are giving off these tensions or creating this, these things that we need to be processing. You know, what can we be thinking about in terms of the, the next turtle down? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) uh, Thanks for that. It definitely has my attention uh, today. It's where I put most of my effort is it was like an aha moment of, you know, these self-organizing systems can be um, uh, full of um, different uh, constructs and practices and techniques, and it can feel a little overwhelming. But for me, there are really just five very distinct principles, and they reoccur in all self-organizing systems. And it was paying attention to that. and was like thinking, huh, that's really the underlying drive of things like sociocracy, responsive, brave new work, TO, holacracy. It's like we are shifting the power. There is a power shift at play. Mm-hmm. And I've identified these, these principles that we are encoding in our systems, in our rules. And they're certainly encoded in holacracy. It was like, got curious about that. How can we encode these power shifted principles in the things that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, in our legal structures, in our capital structures, in our labor structures? So this is kind of what's given rise to some new entities that I'm launching. Out of encode.org, we launched PowerShift Capital over the summer to reimagine how to source and deploy capital as a resource for Mm. these self-organized, power-shifted, purposeful endeavors that we're creating in the world. And so the the power shift for me is kind of where it's at. It's like, yeah, this is really cool talking about self-organizing operating systems. Awesome. We need that and need more of it. But what about the other power structures? And if people out there want to learn more about that, where can they go? Yeah, so encode.org for sure. Uh, learn more about the upgrades of these two other systems. Um, holacracy.org for sure <laughs> to learn about sure. the organizational operating system and powershift.capital. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I think that seems like as logical a place to draw things to a close as we're going to find because I could see this being an eight-hour podcast if we went where our curiosity wants <laughs> to go. Never let him go. <laughs> uh, stay exactly. with us forever. Tom, <laughs> you're now uh, the third co-host of the show. Um, and uh, I just want to say thanks. So thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Aaron, great to hang out with you again. Rodney, pleasure meeting you for the first time. It was so lovely. Uh, We'll do a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making all three of us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And if you like what you're hearing, a review would mean a lot. Um, Or even better, forward the show to someone who needs it. Uh, Quick update on the challenge we did a few weeks ago. We asked you to forward this to a friend. About 10% of you did. The other 90% of you didn't. Um, The challenge is back. We really want to see if we can expand the reach of the show uh, expressly in service of its purpose, which is to get as many, you know, needless bureaucracies and aimless hierarchies out of the way. So think of a colleague, think of a boss, think of a friend that could benefit from this and try passing it along, see what happens. Um, And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. 